Welcome to episode 193 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat, for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's filets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. ButcherBox.com slash IFPodcast with code IFPodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 193 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here, Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing great. Are you enjoying the cold weather? I am not. <laughs> <laughs> Got my my mug of MT right here in my hands. I went and grabbed it. So I'm enjoying the Christmassy stuff now that it's officially December. You know, it's no longer early. So I can be Christmassy as much as I want. I just, you know, the cold. It's wonderful. I walk outside and I'm like, oh, I feel alive. I just went and got any pair of Uggs because my feet were so cold. Oh my goodness. That's like all I wear around the house. Can I tell you about my new obsession? Yes. And I can educate while talking about it. So it's multitasking. Had I finished Dr. Jason Fung's The Cancer Code last time? I don't think you had finished. And I'm interviewing him in two weeks, which is really exciting. But I think for the first time after reading his book, I sort of understand why or how carcinogens are causing cancer. Did I talk about this? I don't think so. It's so fascinating and it makes so much sense. And it's something listeners might be a little bit familiar with because, you know, we talk about autophagy, which is, you know, breaking down old proteins and things like that. Sometimes that gets confused or there's another A word <laughs> that is similar and that's apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. And as he talks about in the cancer code, which everybody should get, is probably the reason that carcinogens cause cancer is because it's like the chronic exposure of damaging things to our cells that leads to this like weird gray zone where the cell isn't getting damaged enough because if a cell gets damaged too much, the body does apoptosis and like basically kills the cell. So it's not damaged enough that it is killed by the body, but it's not damaged, like not enough that it can be repaired to like its normal state. The cell survives in this weird state where it's being constantly damaged. It's not getting killed by the body and it's not getting repaired by the body. Like, so in order to survive, basically, and this is what I did talk about last time, it basically reverts back to unicellular life, which is very selfish and like out for itself and does whatever it can to survive. So that's the theory of what cancer is. So it basically goes rogue in our body and it's this chronic exposure to these carcinogens, which sort of like create that condition in the cells. I was like, that makes so much sense. Cause you know, you hear the word like carcinogens 
but you don't think like, well, how is it actually? What's it doing in there? Yeah. So the reason I got so excited, I was like, this makes so much sense why I'm so obsessed with cleaning up, well, our diet and then cleaning up our skincare and makeup because that's our chronic exposure to these carcinogens and endocrine disruptors, basically. I mean, that's like probably our main source, which is why I'm so obsessed with Beauty Counter. I was like, who would have thought that <laughs> reading the cancer code would make me even more obsessed with Beauty Counter, which was founded on a mission to make safe skincare and makeup free of carcinogens, free of endocrine disruptors. That was the educational piece. The The piece I just want to share is I started using their brightening mist. And you know, when I get really obsessed with something, I just want to tell everybody. Oh, yeah. I just want everybody, okay, friends, like this mist is changing my life. So what does it do? It's ironic because I I love beauty counter. I love skincare and makeup, but I don't like putting a lot of stuff on my face. And I like to kind of go minimal, especially even with like skincare. Like I don't do a lot of like lotions or things like that, but this is just like a mist and you spray it on your face. So it doesn't like leave a residue or anything like that, but it is making my skin glow and and it just makes your pores feel all tightened. And like, I just feel alive. Like it's literally the best thing. Well, that sounds fun. (laughs) I just wanted to share that. All right. I'm really enjoying, I can't remember the name of it. It's their fancy cream that you rub on your neck in the counter time line. It's the the one that's in the big wide jar. I, I don't know. The Supreme cream. Maybe. I don't know, but I can't remember the name of it, but you rub it on your neck, you know, cause I've got 51 year old woman neck. So that's helping. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Awesome. But yeah, I just want to wanted to share. So if people need, well, I guess by the time this comes out, holiday gifts will probably be, I don't know when this comes out, but the link for that for us is melanieavalon.com slash beauty counter. And if you use that link, something special may or may not happen after you place your first order. So, so fun things, cancer code and brightening mist are my updates. Love it. Well, our new podcast came out today, officially, or the day that we're recording, but it's by the time this comes out, we'll have several episodes out. Congratulations. Thank you. The sleep episode, right? Yeah, it was the sleep episode of the Life Lessons podcast. So if you go to any podcast app and search for... I forgot to subscribe. This is upsetting. Search for Life Lessons. Now, there are other podcasts called Life Lessons, but if you search Life Lessons Jen Stevens, you can find ours, and hopefully ours will come up to the top of the search soon. You know, if enough people are listening to it, it'll be the main one that comes up. Today, we were number 22 in the education category, so... Nice. I am following you in our ex-network Himalaya. I still love the Himalaya app. Yep. Yep. And we talked about, you know, the sleep chronotypes and there's, you know, talk about the quiz you can do to take. What were you again? You know, I'm a lion. I was a wolf. You're the late wolf. Yeah, I think you're a wolf. The one that's like late at night. Yeah. Doing the watching. (laughs) Yeah, but people really liked it and that made me so happy. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback. People like the format of it. It's, you know, cheerful. We start with a good news segment. Then we have our life lesson of the week and this one was sleep. And then we have a listener-led lesson where a listener shares some kind of a tip or strategy or something with us. And then we have, we end with a quote, a positive quote that a listener shares with us. So yeah, so it's really kind of like almost crowdsourced. That's fun. Because the the different parts are shared by our group. Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. So please join our Facebook group, Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. We will not teach you how to do intermittent fasting or answer your intermittent fasting questions. (laughs) But does it say that when you join? Yes, it says that as question one. Note, this is not an intermittent fasting group. Just because, you know, we've got that somewhere else. So if you need troubleshooting, this is not the place for it. But We're happy to talk about literally everything else in the entire world. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited. And I'm glad that people like it. That's the most important thing. (laughs) I knew they would. Well, we hoped so. Anyway, it's exciting. It's fun. We're, We're really having fun with it and enjoying it. So many fun, amazing, creative things on the horizon. You know, it's true. It's just amazing to get to create things. We're content creators. Isn't that just so much fun? I love it. What do you do for a living? I'm a content creator. I just get to pretty much talk. (laughs) (laughs) I talk talk to people about stuff. (laughs) Anyway, life is good. 
Super grateful. Yeah, me too. So grateful. And super grateful for our audience. I'm glad to everyone who's listening today. I mean, we could be creating content, but... Wouldn't be doing anything. Well, I've created content my whole life. My elementary teachers didn't like it. <laughs> I created content with whoever was sitting around me at school. <laughs> I love it. I was always in trouble for talking. But you were not, right? You were not. I was always creating content, but you were not in trouble. I was in trouble. Oh no. Melanie was not in trouble. <laughs> Jen was in trouble. <laughs> did I tell you about the only time I got detention? What was that? I think you did. Because I'd never been late to school, so I didn't know if you were late that you had to check in at the office before. Like, I didn't know you were supposed to, like, go through this whole protocol. And I didn't. And they gave me detention. Oh. Because I, like, went to my first period without going to the office first. And you didn't even know. I know. And how old were you? High school. Oh, okay. You know, I was an elementary teacher, so I was just going to be like, that's not fair. Okay, high school. All right. If you're late, I can understand getting detention for being late in high school. (laughs) We didn't have detention at my high school. I don't think. I never got it if we did. It was actually fun. I had it with, like, basically the funnest teacher was doing it that day. And he's really funny. And I think we just cleaned. He was the the science teacher. So I think we, like, cleaned lab equipment. I don't know. Good times. Yep. All right. Shall we get started today? Yes. All right, we have a question from Ashley, and the subject is diet with IF. And she says, what is the best eating plan to pair with intermittent fasting? I've been attempting keto with a six-hour eating window from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. Love your podcasts. All right, so Ashley, thank you so much for this question. And this may seem like a really simple question, but I wanted to include it because I think it taps into a pretty profound concept that bears discussing more. And that is, is there a best eating plan to pair with intermittent fasting? So my answer to this is that the best eating plan is everybody really has to find the dietary approach that works for them personally. And it's very likely that there's not one diet, I mean, for your entire life, even like there might be. But a lot of things change, environment changes, our gut microbiome changes, our stress levels. So what is even the best diet at any one time might be changing for the given individual. And when she says best eating plan, she doesn't have any goals surrounding it because I think that's something else to consider. So like when you're picking your foods and you mean best, what are your goals for weight loss? Because that's a completely different question or it can be a completely different question than just for health and thriving and feeling good. I personally am always going to advocate real foods, whole foods, not the store, but whole foods, real foods. And yeah, so I I do think that the processed foods that we have today are probably not doing us any favors. I think a lot of people think if they're doing intermittent fasting, they should automatically pair it with something like keto, like Ashley is doing. And I think that works really well for some people, but for some people, they actually do way better with carbs and perhaps even like a high carb, low fat approach. And then if the question is about best for weight loss, and that's a whole nother topic that we, we've talked about a lot on this show, Jen. Yeah, I, th- I think you answered it very well. You know, keto was definitely not the best eating plan for me, whether I was doing intermittent fasting or not. And now that I've had my predict three study results with everything analyzed and it showed that my body doesn't clear fat well, well, that makes sense. <laughs> fat hangs around in my blood longer than it should. And so, well, that helps me understand why a high fat diet was very inflammatory for me. And that's actually really the way I felt when I was trying to do keto. I felt inflamed the whole time. Whereas somebody else who doesn't and thrives on it and feels fabulous, I bet their body clears fat well. You know, if they did the the same study that I did, their their body probably clears it right out. So when did you do keto? The entire summer of 2014. Were you doing it like what type of keto? Well, it's, I mean, it's like the kind that there was in 2014. Was it like dairy and like lots of fat and... Well, yes, but it was lots of fat. But, you know, people were talking... I was on Facebook at the time and I was in a lot of different Facebook groups. I joined a million different low-carb communities and I did every tweak they said to do. 
you know, like tweak your macros, try this, try that. And the whole mindset in in the groups, at least in 2014, I haven't been in a low carb group since then. But once I introduced carbs back, I've never looked back. But because that's when I finally started losing weight and I felt better. But the prevailing mindset at the time was if you're not having results, you're just not ketoing hard enough. You know, you're not doing it right. But I was like, I'm doing everything that everyone says to do. I'm doing this tweak and that tweak. But I just, I never felt full no matter what I ate. I never felt satisfied. I felt inflamed. It was just, it just I felt terrible the whole time. Yeah, I think that's really telling. Yeah, it was wrong for my body. But now, you know, the more science I've learned, the more, you know, just this recent analysis about the the fat clearance being poor for me. I'm like, well, that really explains a lot. You know, it, it. they actually said, the PREDICT study people said to me, if you eat too much fat, it will be inflammatory for your body based on the study results of, you know, the, the blood work they did for me. And I'm like, well, that makes sense because it felt like that. I'm kind of bummed about it, though, because I'm going to try to eat like they said. So <sighs> just for a while. I'm just having a whole philosophical thought in my head, which is something we've talked about before, and I don't know if it's a rabbit hole worth going down at all. What is it? Something that still haunts me to this day is, because you're talking about clearing fat from the bloodstream and the debate about carbs or fat causing whatever issues they may be causing in our body. So like plaque buildup, insulin resistance. I just think all the time, like I don't even know if it matters because people will say, what is the root cause of that. And often the the low carb people will say that it's the sugar and the carbs causing it. The low fat people will say it's the fat causing it. In theory, I think it often requires both. Like it requires the insulin resistance created by the, the carbs that are making our body perhaps insulin resistant. But then it's the actual, I think in that context, it's the actual fat that ends up causing the damage. Do you get what I'm saying? Like oftentimes like the the fat will have this inflammatory effect on our bodies in the context of like insulin resistance or in the context of carbs, like in the context of that. But I was not having carbs at that time. True. I was doing keto, very low, very low carb. Like I'm the kind of person that I mean, I'm, I did not deviate a single time. The whole time I was doing it, I did it. And I did it perfectly the way I was and you know, tried to tweak the macros. But I never like went over 20 grams of carbs. I mean, and I'm like one of those people, I'm like, I'm counting them. You know, I, I didn't like fudge it. So actually, so that's a good example. So like in that context, perhaps fat for your body, even in the absence of something that would normally be instigating the environment for it to be a problem, which would be the high carbs, that wasn't there, but there might be some genetic predisposition that instigates the environment for the fat to cause a problem. The esoterical thing I'm trying to say is, is it the fat causing the problem or is it the carbs in the context of where fat is causing the problem? I wonder if it's different for different people. Like that's what I'm kind of, you know, the whole, the data that they gathered, you know, for the, for the predict study you know, let you know if your body cleared sugar quickly or if it cleared, you know, fat quickly. My body didn't clear either of them super quickly, which was a little frustrating but and surprising. But I feel like it, it's just we're assuming that everybody's clearing everything the same way, perhaps, but we're clearly seeing that they're not. Like the examples that they gave when I got my report back, they gave examples of people that work for the company. They're like, for example, this lead researcher has trouble clearing you know, the, the sugar, so these are the things that, that they should not eat. Whereas this other person is the exact opposite, has trouble clearing the fat, so these are the things that they should not eat. And so it's you know based on, it's just very different. So you're more likely to develop problems if you're mismatched with the thing that's right for you. But the the people who say that XYZ is wrong are correct for some people. Yeah. The thing I'm pondering is which molecule or compound is literally causing the damage. But I think it's different for different people. I really feel like for some people, it's the fat. For some people, it's the carbs. Because carbs... The potential damage that can be caused from a carbohydrate is glycation and I guess maybe oxidative damage when it's 
used as a fuel, like lactic acid. I'm not sure. Then like fats, yeah, I guess it would be like inflammatory, like reactive oxygen species and inflammation from the actual fats. I'm getting really granular. And I also want to say one more thing for everyone who's listening now. They're all like panicked that they have to figure out what foods are, are bad for them. Keep in mind, I have been eating all the foods, lots of fat, lots of carbs, all these things for years and maintaining my my 80 pound weight loss and you know not having seasonal allergies and feeling fabulous. But I also have in my tool belt, intermittent fasting. So I am 100% carb-free, (laughs) fat-free, food-free for a huge part of my day. And so the fasting is protecting me from whatever, you know, inflammatory, maybe my body doesn't do well with high fat, maybe fat's inflammatory, but I only eat it in my eating window. So I think that the fasting is very protective. Now, if I started eating all day again, I'm not going to. But if I did, then the what would be a lot more important. Because if I was eating all day long and choosing foods that were inflammatory, it would build up more than if I'm just having it in my eating window. But this is why I'm, I'm going to see what happens if I if I follow their recommendations for me and eat according to their their algorithm and what they're predicting, what foods they predict will work for me. That's what's called predict, the name of their study. And so I just want to see, you know, if, if I feel better. I mean, I feel great, but maybe there's a maybe there's better than I feel now. You know what I mean? Oh, hundred percent. Anyway, it's fascinating. There was actually a study that Dr. Fung mentioned. And I don't know the details of it, but from what I remember, it was that because lower body weights are typically correlated to like obesity is a risk factor for cancer, I believe. And there was like a study of the females and females at lower body weights had a higher cancer risk than females at higher body weights who fasted longer. So say that one more time. He said, one recent study found that women who fast for fewer than 13 hours per night, despite having a lower BMI than other women in the study who fasted for that duration, had a 36% higher risk of recurrent breast cancer. Wow. So fasting really is our not-so-secret weapon. Yeah, definitely. Quick question, just while we're talking about it. If you could ask Dr. Fung one question, what would it be? I don't know. I'll have to think about it. I don't know. Because I'm going to be focusing mostly on cancer or the cancer book, but I do want to, obviously, (laughs) while I have him. Ask him what he does. Ask him about his fasting regimen. That's what I would want to know. Tell me what you do and why. That's a good question. What does his wife do? (laughs) Does she? Oh, he's married. Well, I'm pretty sure. Here's a funny Fung story that someone shared in one of the groups one time. He's married and he has kids. Somebody in the group lives in his town and... His kids know their kids. Anyway, their kids are friends or something. And so one kid was over there and talking to, I think he has a son, Fung's son, and said, is your dad, you know, the Dr. Jason Fung? And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I guess he wrote some books or something. His own kid was not impressed. Anyway, that I didn't tell that story very well. But basically, the son didn't really quite know what his dad did, (laughs) but he wasn't impressed by it. Our kids are never impressed. Let me just tell you. (laughs) I'm super impressed, actually, by my dad. Well, that's awesome. I've, like, always thought that. The reason I said that is just because I've, like, I've thought that most days since I was born, I think. That's good. Well, I think Cal is impressed with what what I do because Cal gets it because he's, you know, in the app space. And Will's like, yeah, 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 whatever. (laughs) Thanks, Will. Probably depends a lot on like what type of person, you know, your personality. and That's true. Yeah. So next, we actually have two questions that are on the flip side of a single topic. So I thought we could address both of them. And that is before and after pregnancy. Okie doke. So our first question comes from Sarah. The subject is fasting while trying to get pregnant. And Sarah says, Hi, ladies. I've been listening to you guys for a while now and find you both inspiring and motivating. I am not on Facebook, so I'm missing out on a lot more motivation and information. But I do have a question that I apologize if it has been answered before. I know that it is not wise to fast while pregnant. I have PCOS and I've been fasting a little over a month and have not experienced any physical changes. And I'm assuming that my PCOS is going to make me a slow loser or my body is working on some other type of healing. 
My primary goal for IF is to lose weight so that I can more likely get pregnant with PCOS. However, I don't know if it is safe for me to fast while trying to get pregnant because of autophagy. I don't want to ruin something that will be hard enough for me to do, but I know that weight loss will make it more likely for me to get pregnant. I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of these things. I fast 18 to 20 hours a day and I've had a few shorter fast days thrown in there, but the majority has been longer. Any information you guys can provide me would help make me and my future baby very happy. Thank you guys. Keep doing what you do. Sarah. That's a great question. And I'm going to direct Sarah to Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast episode 34. Way back in June of 2019, I can't believe it's been that long, but I talked to an ABGYN, Dr. Cecily Ganhart, and Dr. Ganhart is an expert on, obviously, pregnancy, since she's an ABGYN, but women with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. I think I always say that a little bit wrong. Polycystic ovary syndrome or ovarian syndrome. It's one of those two, but she's an expert in that. And guess what she uses with her patients with PCOS who are trying to conceive? Melanie knows. Intermittent fasting. Yes, because PCOS is very much related to high levels of insulin. So you need to get your insulin down. And so the best way to do that really is intermittent fasting. You may want to use an approach such as alternate daily fasting, you know, like a do a 36-hour fast and have a 12-hour eating window. You know, you have your down days and your up days. And if you're not sure how to do that, obviously, Fast, Feast, Repeat has a whole chapter on that. It'll, it'll walk you through some different options that you can choose. But, you know, your goal is to get insulin down. But... You know, ever since I talked to Dr. Ganhart, I felt confident in saying that, yes, this is safe, especially if you have PCOS, because PCOS is linked to infertility. And we have had so many women in our Facebook groups that were struggling to get pregnant, and then, bam, intermittent fasting, pregnant. But of course, you stop fasting as soon as you are pregnant. Yeah, when I interviewed Dr. Benjamin Bickman recently for his book, Why We Get Sick, which is all about insulin resistance, I asked about PCOS because from everything I've been seeing, it seems like pretty accepted that insulin resistance, I don't know, going back to the idea of like root causes, like might be the root cause of PCOS. High levels of insulin. It's just another way that high levels of insulin can show up. And it's just so interesting because... I never heard of PCOS all through my adult years until recently, and then bam, it's everywhere. But so is insulin resistance. You know, we're, we're just more and more metabolically unhealthy than ever before. A huge portion of his book talks about insulin resistance and its relation to a myriad of reproductive functions, systems, you know, PCOS, fertility, hormones, testosterone. I mean, it's a huge player. That's a great resource that you have that episode with that doctor. What was her name? Yeah, I would definitely, Dr. Cecily Ganhart. And she actually has a website. I think it's Fasting Doctor or something. She's on Instagram and and she's just great. For listeners, we'll put a link in the show notes to both of those episodes. Episode 34. So if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 193, we'll put links there. Oh, that reminded me. I forgot to ask at the beginning. Listeners, send us Ask Me Anything questions for episode 200. Coming soon. Yes. I'm waiting for the questions to roll in, but it's because I don't think any of the episodes where we've talked about it have aired yet. Oh, yeah. So we do need them. We need them soon. So go ahead and ask. Ask us anything. And if you make it related to intermittent fasting, we probably won't answer it unless it has like a really exciting twist (laughs) to it. So, so yes, but okay. All right. So now part two, the second one. Yes. So the flip side, we have a question from Taylor. The subject is back to IF after baby. Oh, before we answer this question, Should we just give our stance about actually fasting while pregnant and pregnancy? Yes. And I got this from Cecily Ganhart and, you know, she's knowledgeable and she actually gave me a quote for Fast Feast Repeat. So I actually have her quoted. I I sent her an email and I said, hey, would you give me a brief quote? So Dr. And and now she actually is using Dr. Cecily Clark Ganhart, but, you know, hyphenating her last name, Clark Ganhart. So in my book, she said, this is a quote she actually sent me and gave me permission 
To use in the book, she said, we do not know enough regarding the interactions of fasting on fetal health, particularly as it applies to weight. Therefore, pregnancy is not the time to experiment. Prioritize a real foods approach coupled with responsible weight gain and focus on nutrition as the building blocks of life. Pregnancy only requires an additional 300 calories a day, the equivalent of one avocado per day. That is really fascinating. Yeah. The avocado. No fasting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eat an avocado and don't fast. (laughs) Addressing the in-between, back to the flip side, Taylor. Subject back to IF after baby, Taylor says, Hi, ladies. I love you both so much and missed you slash IF terribly when I took a break while pregnant and breastfeeding. My son, Sawyer, was my little IF miracle born right at the start of the pandemic. Aw, so wonderful. She says, I've been back to fasting since early July and it feels great. It has been one of the only things that has helped me stay sane between figuring out motherhood, figuring out life during a pandemic, switching careers due to the pandemic, taking my previous job, being in a near deadly car accident, and so on. 2020 has been quite the year. I have noticed that I lost some of my baby weight quickly at the beginning, and now I feel like everything has stalled. I'm trying to be better about what I eat in my window because apparently my postpartum body just can't lose weight with fasting alone like it could before getting pregnant. I consistently fast clean 20 to 22 hours a day and try to keep my window to three to five hours. Exercise is inconsistent because by the time I get the little guy down for bed, I am exhausted. He isn't sleeping through the night yet, so early morning workouts are just not possible after being awake at 2 a.m. and then up with him for the day at 6. Other than cleaning up my diet, is there anything else I'm missing here? Am I doomed because I am not getting quality sleep? I know my body has a lot of internal healing to do from my C-section, car accident injuries, and so on. Should I just be patient with the weight loss side of things? Yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) By the way, I just want to note that I am not breastfeeding. We were not successful with it, unfortunately. I know that comes up a lot in the Facebook groups. Thank you, ladies, so much for your time. On a separate note, I ordered a juve and cannot wait for it to arrive. Much love from Kentucky, Taylor. Well, Taylor, first of all, I want to give you a hug about the breastfeeding. I get it. I was not successful with breastfeeding either. When Cal was a baby, he was five weeks early, and so he had trouble latching on, and I felt so guilty. I mean, I knew I would breastfeed for a long time. I read all the books. I was committed. I was going to do it. He couldn't latch on, though, because he was was so early, and after the first week, and I was crying, and he was crying, and it was terrible, and I was talking to the pediatrician's nurse, and she's like, just give him a bottle. And I felt like such a failure. I'm like, what? She's like, just give him a bottle. So, you know, don't feel bad, mamas. That's what I'm just telling you. We're, we're so programmed to think that we have to do it. And if it's not successful, that we're failing. And so don't hold on to that guilt because I felt like that myself. And then I was like, all right, I'm not going to feel that guilt. And then I moved on. I'm glad you said, yeah, that's wonderful. Had to put that out there because she sounded sad when she said that she was not successful with it, unfortunately. We almost feel like we should apologize for not doing it. But you know what? We shouldn't. If if we can't, we can't. And it just is what it is. And you know, my son had a 4-0 at Georgia Tech. It did not ruin him to not be breastfed. <laughs> well, on the other hand, <laughs> I breastfed him longer. And <laughs> he dropped out of college. So... <laughs> Anyway, so that's that. So I just wanted to put that in there because, gosh, we we mamas bring ourselves a lot of guilt no matter what. And we should just, we're doing the best we can. Anyway, so yes, Taylor, I really think you nailed it when you said that your body had a lot of internal healing to do from your C-section and your almost fatal car accident injuries and also just the pandemic. So any one of those things could cause you to have trouble with weight loss. Instead of thinking, gosh, why isn't it working this time? Your body is really different right now. You just had a baby, the stress of the pandemic, you're not sleeping well, you had an accident, all those things. So just relax into it. It sounds like what you're doing is is fine. I, I wouldn't, you know, try to tweak anything right now. Just, you know, eat food that nourishes your body and let your body heal. Because our bodies really do prioritize healing and 
gosh, the stress of not sleeping. I mean, any one of these things, like I've identified what, four or five things right there that any one of them could cause your body to to hold on to the excess weight right now. Just be patient, give it some time. I bet, this is my prediction, I predict that within the next year, when you're, you start to get better sleep and your healing is going on, you'll just suddenly start just dropping the weight. That's what I predict. Yeah, so I love everything you said about the stress and everything. The thing I would say, so she says, other than cleaning up my diet, is there anything else I'm missing here? And I think, so I, I agree with Jen as far as like the, with the intermittent fasting side of things, giving that time. But I actually would encourage you to clean up. Well, I don't know what you're eating. So it's hard to say. If people are open to cleaning up their diet, I'm always a fan. And I think even more so, especially if you are trying to heal and, you know, recuperating from all of these things. I think one of the most healing things that we can do for ourselves is feeding ourselves, like Jen said, foods that nourish us. And like I said, I I don't know what you're eating. So maybe it is already foods that are nourishing you, but if it's not, if it is foods that are potentially inflammatory or not doing you any favors, I think there are massive strides and benefits. Even if weight loss wasn't your goal, if it was just recovering and bringing back your vitality from all these things you've gone to, I can't encourage enough quote, I don't like the word cleaning up the diet because it's it's so like, I don't know. I feel like it has a lot of like stigmas and it sounds pretentious and like, what does that even mean? But choosing nourishing, I said it already <laughs> at the beginning, but choosing nourishing foods and their real whole form can have, I think, massive benefits for lots of people. So I, I would encourage you to go that route. Yeah. And I want to say for anybody who thinks, like if you think that what you're eating might be a problem. It probably is because we already know, you know, whenever I am like, I wonder if I'm drinking too much wine and that's the problem. (laughs) If you are wondering if something is the problem, it probably is part of the problem. I feel like we get not this specific question, but we get this format of a question a lot, which is I've been through these things. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to lose weight. I'm not, I'm doing fasting. And then it's often this idea of other than cleaning up my diet, what else could it be? Like it's a very, very common thing. I think it makes sense because I mean, food, <laughs> food has such a, a powerful effect on us. And a lot of people are eating the foods they want to be eating because of the way that it makes them feel in that moment. And it can seem a lot easier to address other things like, oh, maybe if I tweak the fasting or maybe if I tweak this or tweak that rather than tweaking the actual food. But I think as far as like the potential for change that can happen with addressing the food, I think can have huge, huge effects. And I mean that with all like kindness. I'm not trying to say like you're having an awful diet and you need to change the diet. Not at all. Just that I think people are often hesitant to address the diet because it can seem like such an obstacle and such a hurdle, but I think it can have profound effects and and you, and you can do it. And you don't have to go like all crazy, like change it overnight. Like it can be slow steps and making small changes, but what is that quote about like something about the thing that you do consistently is the thing that has the biggest effect? I don't know. I know what you mean. It's like the idea that like, it's not necessarily like doing something really amazing one day or something really awful one day is going to have this lingering effect. It's the thing we're doing day in and day out that is having the most profound changes on us in the long run. And that's what our diet is. It's what we're eating day in and day out. So addressing it, I think can be, can be really huge. I think so too. You know, the what does matter. And I didn't address that for a long time with my myself. I didn't change what I was eating, but I feel better when I have. Maybe it's because the first thing that actually worked for you was intermittent fasting. Whereas for me, the first thing that worked wasn't fasting. It was going low carb. So it was addressing the what. So I think I have this, even though it wasn't paleo, like, cause my timeline was low carb, then intermittent fasting, then quote, cleaning it up with paleo. But I guess the foundation of my understanding was, oh, changing the types of foods you're eating has a huge, huge effect. And that's lingered with me. There was never a single time in my existence prior to intermittent fasting where I changed what I ate. And it had. And it was able to lose the weight and keep it off. Well, but then I also always went back. Like I never once lost weight with low carb ever. 
like I would lose the initial flow of, you know, the the whoosh of the water weight that, you know, you're, you have less glycogen. So our bodies hold on to a lot of water. So when, for me, it was like four pounds, like the amount of water weight that I would lose immediately when I started low carb was four pounds, then I would lose nothing, nothing, nothing. Then as soon as I reintroduce carbs, bam, there those four pounds are again. It's just the water weight. So I never lost more than four pounds on a low carb plan ever. I did lose really, really well on low fat in the early 90s. But, you know, it wasn't sustainable forever. So I gained it all back. So there was never a time that I lost weight by changing what I was eating, that I was successful because I, you have to do that forever. And it also all came back every time. So the only thing that has kept me permanently at my goal is intermittent fasting, eating all the things. And so I've changed a lot of what I eat over time, but there's not a single thing I don't eat. Even now, if someone walked in with a little bag of Doritos, I'd eat some Doritos. I just still love them. (laughs) I don't buy them or have them frequently, but, you know, I mainly eat really high quality foods. And and I could tell over Thanksgiving and the the few days after that, I was eating a lot heavier, richer food, less vegetables, more things like dressing and gravy, a lot of fatty things, dessert. We had a great apple crumble that I just ate the heck out of. And I could tell I was puffy. And I didn't feel my best. And I'm like, man, I'm craving some veggies. Because I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, oh, that must be nice to be able to, at least if you so wanted to eat these foods and not feel like you're dying. I don't feel like I'm dying. And it took days. It it was like I ate these foods till they were gone in the house. Like I didn't cook new foods. I just ate Thanksgiving leftovers. And by about the third day, fourth day of eating these foods, I normally eat a lot of veggies, a lot of beans, a lot of things like that. I was feeling a little sluggish and not my best. Like I I was like, I'm ready for something else. Interestingly, that's the way I felt. So before I ever changed my diet... So like standard American diet, you know, like on holidays and stuff, I would feel, you know, sluggish and not so well after, but I didn't feel like ill. You weren't sick. Yeah. Or like literally just like, this is a state that I just don't want to be in. That's like it is with me. I don't feel like I'm sick or ill or in pain. I'm just like, ew, I feel a little puffy. I mean, you know. I I say this actually to be encouraging because for people who do react pretty intensely to foods like myself, (laughs) you can be grateful for it because I mean, I think it encourages me even more to eat hopefully nourishing whole foods. It's like the canary in the coal mine thing. Well, my body always does direct me back to it. Here's a funny story. After I went to the beach with my friends and I'd been to the beach by myself. And then a couple weeks later, I went with my friends. We ate a lot of cheese <laughs> and we went out to restaurants for dinner every night. And I I guess, you know, I order from these food companies like Green Chef, who sponsors our podcast. And I guess I was feeling real sluggish. And so I ordered like all these totally vegetarian <laughs> meals for like... Seven meals in a row. And my husband's like, why are we only having chickpea bowls with vegetables? Oh, you order them from the meal service? Yes. And I ordered all of the same kinds of meals because I guess I was like, I don't want any meat. I'm tired of meat. I'm tired of all these heavy foods. So like seven nights in a row, we didn't have meat and it was all very high veggie chickpeas kind of meals. He's like, why are they all the same? I'm like, I don't know. I just must have been in that mood when I ordered them. And then I thought back and it was like, yep. It was my body craving this other food. And so I unfortunately ordered seven in a row of the same kind of thing. And he was like, I got to have some meat or something. <laughs> like, okay, we can. But unfortunately, there was that lag in between feeling that way and then food arriving. <laughs> it was funny, but I realized why I had done it. And then interestingly, you know, that lag showed me I had the gray on the shape My color was gray. You know, the weight went up a little bit after being at the beach and eating all that food. And then after that week of having all the, you know, the bowls and the vegetables, I got blue on the shape of scale. So my body really loves eating that way. And it craves it when I don't. But I I feel okay to mix it in. I was going to bring up the shape up because I did more research on, because it was haunting me about the shape of age. Because I was thinking it was like, somehow taking into account like your muscle mass and all of that. But you're right. I, 
it's really vague on the internet. There's not much information, but I think it is. Had you Googled it? Well, I've read what they said. I read their explanation of it on their website. Yeah, I've read it a couple of times and they have it in their app too. They explain it. They have like a blog post. Seems to be that it's not like anything about your health. Which is why that I was like, what does this mean? Because I'm used to like the inner age. Well, yeah, because they don't have like your blood data. They only know your age and your actual age and what, what you got standing on the scale. But it seems to be like a surrogate so that you don't have to see a number. You can see, oh, I'm the age I want to be inside with my weight, which is like, I think that's the, that's the vibe I'm getting. So like you said, oh, when I weighed this, I was, I felt the best. Yes. They do say in the blog post that they have on their website about Shape of Age that they they do base it somewhat on some of the answers that you gave. Yeah. So now I'm trying to remember. I'm like, well, what did I tell it I felt my best at? Because like, so now I want to revisit. I wonder if there's a way to figure that out because I think that's what I'm like, I guess that's what it's supposed to be moving towards then. Whatever age I gave it, but I don't remember what age I gave it. Shall we do one more question? All right. We have a question from Anna. And the subject is high-intensity workouts. And Anna says, I work out several days a week with no IF issues, but one day a week I have a high-intensity, long workout, two hours of cycling, one hour of swimming, and another two to two-and-a-half-hour cycling or a five-hour cycling or a long swim and a two-hour run. That made me tired just reading it. That sounds really exhausting. Two hours of cycling, one hour of swimming. And another two to two and a half hours of cycling or a five hour of cycling or a long swim and a two hour run. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. During the workouts, I need to eat dates or gel, but something otherwise I cannot do the workouts. You know, this is interesting, though. I interviewed someone on my podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories, not that long ago, who she does high-intensity stuff without eating gel and stuff. She she does it all in the fasted state because she said she actually performs better. You know, I'm not going to argue whether Anna needs to eat or not, but I just want to put that perspective out there that maybe you really don't need to eat if your body is fat-adapted to the fasting. There's a lot of debate in the low-carb world where people will say that, and studies have shown that, you know, maybe high intensity intervals and workout and exercises can be maintained on a low carb diet. It seems to require a long adaption for a lot of people to get there. So that's why a lot of people in the low carb world will say that they do carb ups to support the high intensity. So in that case, a lot of people in the low carb world do carb ups, but that doesn't mean you have to be eating the, the dates or the gel, you know, right before the exercise or during or during. Yeah. So depending on you, some people are able to have, you know, like the night before a carb up and they have adequate glycogen stores and then they're able to do it in the fasted state still. That said, on top of that, I do know the keto gains people, they actually do prescribe low carb, but with high intensity workouts, I think they take, it's like they do things like a tiny bit. It's like 10 grams of like dextrose before or something or like Smarties. <laughs> so if you want to get really intense and granular, some people do do low carb and they do it more in this approach where they have literally basically like pure sugar right before the workout. But so I agree with what Jen said though, to possibly consider that there might be another way to do this. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, 
enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. So she continues to say, how detrimental is doing IF six days a week and not doing it on the seventh day due to workouts? I typically eat from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m., but on long workout days, I eat much earlier, 6 a.m. I'm a post-menopause 52-year-old woman. And she said, look forward to hearing the podcast that will address this. Thank you, Anna. All right. So for the second part, I do not think it's detrimental to do IF six days a week and not on the seventh day due to the workouts. I mean, it sounds like what she's doing, if she's happy with it, I mean, I'm fine with it (laughs) because she's working. I mean, she's doing a huge workout. She's obviously fueling it. She's fasting. She hasn't said that she has any problems with fasting the rest of the time. She hasn't, she hasn't mentioned anything about being unhappy with her weight or her performance or like, it sounds like it's working. There is absolutely nothing detrimental about it unless your goal is weight loss and you're not losing weight. In which case, then you can tweak things. But if you feel good and you're your ideal body, there's nothing wrong with it. I feel like Anna might be the type that would actually benefit really well from the aura ring that I've now been wearing for quite like a month now or so. No, a few weeks. Do you know what it shows you, Jen, every morning when you wake up? It gives you a daily readiness score. Sherry, my co-host on the Life Lessons podcast, has one. I'm interviewing the CEO next week, I think. It measures your resting heart rate and your heart rate variability during the night, as well as your sleep, your sleep cycles, your body temperature, your body temperature, your respiratory rate. It measures all that while you're sleeping. During the day, it measures all of your activity. So when you wake up in the morning, it computes based on how well you slept, what your heart rate was, and your activity levels the day before to tell you on this day, Like what type of day should it be? Like, should it be a day that you're working out and, you know, building and active or should it be a rest and recovery day or like a blend of both? Like, should you, you know, be active, but, you know, not overexert yourself all based on how your heart is basically responding to everything in your sleep. It's very cool. sounds like Anna has her regimen down, but if she's curious about what days might be the best day for her to have her workout, an ordering might be something to play around with. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So I'm still trying to convince them to help me out with a listener discount. So I'm putting that out to the universe. (laughs) Apparently, they don't like to give listener discounts. Well, that's a bummer. I know. I was like, but there's so many people in my audience that would like, like, I think that might be a deciding factor for a lot of people. So I'm putting it out to the universe. 
maybe it'll happen. But yeah, so this has been absolutely wonderful. A few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions to the podcast, you can directly email questions at iapodcast.com or you can go to iapodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at iapodcast.com slash episode 193. You can follow us on Instagram. <laughs> I'm so excited now about Instagram. I'm so glad. I'm doing better too. I know. Yeah. So follow us. I'm Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. We're trying. Every post I put up, somebody makes a comment about this. <laughs> so trying. I actually just posted a video of my Rife machine. I know I get a lot of questions about what does that look like? <laughs> you know, like the plasma tube that you attack things in your body with. So I put up a video of that. What was the last thing that you put up? Oh, I put up two things today. Oh, what did you put up today? I put up a photo of, I organized my freezer and all my, <laughs> my daily harvest looks so pretty. I took a picture of it and, you know, they don't sponsor my podcast, but I was like, daily harvest. I tagged them and I was like, if you want to sponsor my podcast, hint, hint. <laughs> I just really like daily harvest and I want them to sponsor my podcast. That's so funny. Actually, yeah, I put up a picture of me and my sweaty Betty because I was like, I really love this sweaty Betty. I saw that. I saw it. And I also put up, because our life lessons was number 22 in the education category earlier today. So I put up a picture of that because, you know, the thing is people need to find it early and then they will listen if they like it. So, so friends, we are trying. We are trying. We are trying. Follow us. (laughs) Um, And yes, well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. Oh, wait, no, I didn't say anything from you, Jen, before we go. <laughs> no. I think if I didn't say that, that would have been the first time in 193 episodes. Well, what if there was something? Oh, wait, what if there was something you needed to say before we. I always say no. So maybe you should stop. Stop asking you that? I always say nope. That's it. Right? Don't I always say that? Anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.